0: the sales acceleration show where we talk about the science of selling across the areas of marketing sales and sales operations please join our facebook group sales acceleration i'm your host gabe larson and with that let's get at it Welcome, everybody, to the Sales Acceleration Show. We've got another guest, another session. We're excited to jump on in. This is a newer relationship for insidesales.com. We had Dan Perry coming from uh, Sales Benchmark Index, joined us at our Accelerate conference in February, was a guest speaker, hit a home run. Dan and I have talked a few times, and I said, Dan, I'd love to get you on our podcast. And um, for those of you who don't know SBI, I mean, all things uh, sales and marketing, I mean, they're content. They're like a content machine. Dan was just talking through some, some more of this stuff. And so I said, Dan, can you jump on and talk to us? Share some of your wisdom. So, Dan, appreciate you jumping on.
1: Thanks, Gabe. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, so um, give us, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was doing a half-baked introduction for, for you. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and some of the things you're doing over there at the SBI. Yeah, absolutely. So,
1: Gabe, I'm a I'm a principal at Sales Benchmark Index, SBI for short. Uh, and what is SBI? It's a we're a management consulting firm specializing in sales and marketing, and we're focused exclusively on helping B2B companies make the number. We really want you to grow faster than the industry and faster than your competition. Those are the organizations that we're we're really helping out a lot. And what we do is we use a benchmarking method. To help the, their, these companies accelerate their rate of revenue growth. Now, the benchmarking helps our clients get access to and implement emerging best practices from top sales and marketing organizations.
0: Yeah, I love it. I mean, if you've not, you know, I've known SBI informally, as you and I have talked about. I mean, I, I think most people are aware of you guys just because someone's either passed them some research, they've seen some of the content, they've digested some blogs. I mean, you guys are out there, you've got a big footprint. Um, it's great to see some of the things that you back it up with, which I think is the real expertise. So again, appreciate you being on the show. So outside of work, I'm always interested. I always like to ask something something that's a little more personal or uh, a little different. Outside of work, what do you do, or something interesting about yourself? Yes, um, I think the, probably the most
1: interesting thing is I've been to 48 countries in five years.
0: <laughs> 48. Now, was this was this work related? Was this um, first, you yeah. take a sabbatical, you...
1: Yeah, I wish. A little bit of both, right? Mostly work, some pleasure, no doubt. But uh, but it's been interesting going around the world and seeing uh, literally every kind of side of the world there is and all the uh, commonalities and yet the differences between the, between the countries.
0: So out of the 48, I mean, was there one place where you said, you know what, if I wasn't living in beautiful California, I would uh, probably, I'd, I'd be willing to settle here. Sydney, Australia. Is that right? Sydney.
1: Oh, Gabe, I had a, I had a great day. Well, I remember one Saturday, I get up for a run through the Botanical Gardens next to the Sydney Opera House. Then I go over to Manly Beach, uh, took a ferry over. We surfed all day long and had, you know, sat at the pub for a couple hours in the afternoon, I kind of a beach bar. Then I took the ferry back and went to see uh, Madame Butterfly at the Sydney Opera House. So that was an awesome wow. day.
0: Sounds like one of those days um, you wouldn't mind reliving over uh, over and over again. Um, you know, I did some international travel. I, I lived in the Middle East for just about four years. Um, I never did. There was a conversation to get me out to Sydney. Um, I never did get out to Australia. But, you know, having visited a few countries, European. I, I did some Asian travels. Um, you know, I I don't know if I, I'm I'm not much of a. I mean, I definitely like the U.S. I don't think I'd live everywhere to say that. I, I certainly, having visited, you know, probably maybe 20 countries. I think I'd only want to live in maybe two or three of them. No offense if, for any of our international listeners, but um, uh, there's some that are great, but some I just they weren't they didn't suit me as much. So I may have to on one of my next trips. See if I can't check out Australia. I'm, I'm certainly jealous. But um so as we shift from, from the conversation uh into a little bit of sales, I am interested to dive into this one. You know, we've been talking lately on on the podcast on some of these trendy topics around social and um God, there's been a lot of people wanting to talk about training and coaching. Today we're gonna dive into organizational structures. Um, specifically double down on, on this inside sale what's the background of yourself or w- w- why are you passionate about this topic
1: mm-hmm. so I my background is obviously sales and marketing my entire career so I used to um, head the uh, sales force for Aramark for uniform services about 700 650 salespeople uh, did a lot of org org redesign when I was when I was there rent several other sales forces as well uh, and we really think organizational design is a mis, uh, is quite frankly screwed up a lot in the companies, and they they their legacy org designs based upon what has happened in the past, not what's going to happen in the future. So they're not playing a Wayne Gretzky where you know they're not they're not going where the puck should be or where the puck is.
0: Yeah, I love that one, man. I um I love that line: skate where the puck is, and that probably does um affect a lot of organizations in the way that you're structured. I mean, a lot of people I think they go after they want to go after a sh- shiny technology or they want to go after the shiny object, but fundamental to a strong sales org is a is is probably a foundational organizational structure. So as you think about models, um, I've often heard you talk about different organizational design models. Maybe you can give us a couple examples of of these types of models that either work or, or don't work. Yeah, okay, there's
1: we really think there's seven organizational design models. And I'll briefly describe these for you, right? So the first one is pretty common uh, stratification, where you'd have an enterprise accounts, mid-market accounts, and SMB sales accounts that salespeople call on, right? That, that that stratification sometimes represented as a triangle, right, that, that, that's mm. a pretty common org, org, org design. Next one is called Hunter Farmer. So Hunter Farmer is just that, the hunter goes out and sells the deal and passes it over a brick wall, so to speak, right, to and a farmer who then takes that opportunity or that account and then nurtures the account, delivers the, the work potentially, and then cross-sells-upsells. There's also a geographical organizational design. We all know of this one, right, based in territories around the, around the, the country uh, and, and your, your territory, your patch is based geography. There's industry vertical. So you'd have an industry vertical centered around maybe pharmaceuticals or healthcare, an industry vertical centered around manufacturing, right? An industry vertical centered around, um, you know, business services, et cetera. So that's one technology. The fourth one is products. So you're organized by the products you sell. So medical device is big on this, right? Or pharmaceutical, they sell a certain product like Viagra. So that's all. That, that that's a that's a, a product, right? Good example. Good sixth,
0: example. Yeah,
1: is the sixth uh, the sixth one is um is based on now personas. So I know the CEO of Johnson and Johnson, so that's my account because I know that CEO so well that it's it, it's based upon really social proximity or the way that I know that person, and that's more prevalent in global account structure. Or global account teams than it is obviously in, in SMB. But nevertheless, so though, that, that's another way to organize. But what's most common is the seventh approach, and that's a hybrid of some of these, hmm. where you might lead with stratification and base it on Hunter Farmer, or you might have yeah. a geography based Hunter Farmer, right? Or you might have an industry vertical based that's geography. Uh, and what happens when you start to get more complex, or their number of sales or, or design models? Your productivity actually starts to go down. So we we have done
0: studies on this. So, I mean, we, it's, it's, so yep. just real quick, so is you is, you know you mentioned as I get a little more complex, I add these different verticals or these types of specializations, and you you typically find that people do actually become a little less productive, a little less effective as they quote unquote over specialize.
1: Yeah. One org structure, uh, what we've seen overall, the 11,000 companies we study, um, you get about a, a 48% quota attainment. If you go to two org structures, so it's Hunter, Farmer, and Geography, for example, your quota attainment goes up in the 60% range. When you start to get three structures, so an example would be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna base myself on Hunter, Farmer, then in the, in the, and then I'm gonna take an industry overlay and I'm gonna put industries, that are hunter farmer, and then I'm going to break it out into two geography. Your actual actually quote attainment goes down below 40%, four or more below 30%, five or more below 20% quote attainment. And it's oh, really God. because you're, yeah, you're, you're disrupting the salesperson. It's too complex for that salesperson to handle. And the customer gets confused as well. And they have multiple hmm. people calling on them at multiple
0: times. So there is kind of an inflection point. You, I mean, you get some real advent. You get some real gains as you move from n- not level one to level two, but you know, moving into that hunter farmer, I become a lot more productive. My quota team potentially goes up, and it was it was maxed at level two. It Was maxed at level three, I think. Yes. You said. Is that right? No, two or more. So two, two or more. Or so so if you have a
1: geography and a hunter farmer structure, that that's optimal. Mm-hmm. Or you might have a stratification based upon industry, that, that, that's optimal with, with a general salesperson. But when he starts to get three or more organizational structures, we see a productivity dip, uh, or really quota payment goes, goes down. Interesting.
0: So as you consult companies, as you coach companies, you try to narrow them in on finding that optimal balance. It's not about simplifying to the extreme, it's just about finding that right balance, that two, kind of two plus area of, of approaches to be able to maximize their, their, their quota.
1: So, sales org design of all the things that we do for companies is the least adopted because it's such a risk. Because you're at the, you have the risk of losing revenue. So we have two rules. No matter if you have five org structures or three org structures, we have two rules, and we never violate these two rules. When you have an organizational design and structure, you never ever lose a customer, and you never ever lose an A player. Everything else is on the table. So a, a company might have for instance, five organizational structures. They might go by product, by industry, by geography, hunter, farmer, and stratification. Very confusing, right, and no one knows what's going on. Well, we know going from five to two is probably too much of a shift. So we'll we'll slow down with our two golden rules, never lose a customer, never lose an A A player on our team, and we might go from five to three. And then maybe the following year go from three to two. But you need to make sure
0: that you sequence these things appropriately, not to violate the golden rules. So you've got the two golden rules. Is there any other way that you start to kind of coach companies or, or help them think through the process of designing in, in, in an optimal org?
1: How customers buy. So if customers value and will pay extra for industry expertise, that should be an indicator that an industry Led Salesforce is is key. If the customer doesn't value, or better said, doesn't pay extra money for industry expertise, then it's not worth it. Hmm. So there's a couple
0: key ways that you can start to think about optimizing around what type of org design is optimal for you. Because I mean, you think of a company like InsightSales.com. We obviously sell. I mean, we 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 could run the gamut. I mean, we sell to different industries. We've got different products. You know, we've um, got a hunter-farmer model. We've got geographies. We, you, you know, we're in the MEA now and APEC. So um, it just it does seem a little confusing to try to figure out how do I maximize around the two the two optimal, you know, two plus optimal models in order to maximize my output. Of that and it seems like that's a that's a tough task for organizations, I assume, to, to tackle. It
1: is. It's a tough task to do this that's why organizations tend to not do it or they do it very slowly because the risk is too high uh and and that's something that uh they don't want to um alienate the current revenue they don't want to lose a customer they don't want to lose an A player and so going slow sometimes is what they do unfortunately when you go slow the productivity results are slower to, to achieve that's
0: right that's right so if you were a coach in an organization and you said, hey, the place to start in thinking about org kind of redesign or org optimization would be pr- probably some of the stuff we talked around, the set, but kind of just first of all, probably understanding the seven types, but is there a place you t- kind of help them start and say, hey, guys, you typically want to a- answer maybe some of the questions you've said, like, hey, if, if people are willing to pay for industry research or how do I get started in, in optimizing my yep. org? It just seems it could be a lot. A lot of avenues to take. Two,
1: two ways we look at that. Um, how do your customers buy? Right? How are they currently buying? And where's the biggest concentration of revenue coming from? And yeah. most organizations have an 80-20 rule, right? 20% of the customers mm-hmm. deliver 80% of the revenue. And if that's so the case, then you start with kind of a stratification model with a global national strategic accounts, key accounts program. Hmm. That's the first step. So it's,
0: all, it's, it's that focus. I mean, it's about where you're already winning. Let's double down on that and win more. Then we can slowly progress into some of those other areas. Yeah. Yeah. We also see That's inside
1: big. sales. So a trend coming is inside sales. And inside sales is now becoming really virtual sales. Right. Where the kind of line of demarcation where you draw the line between field and inside is, quote, moving up the triangle in in the stratification world and there's more bigger and more complex accounts wanting to only be sold to and serviced by a virtual salesperson.
0: Why do you why now, do you think that is? I mean on the um even so on the customer side is that just you know you mentioned cus- companies are actually wanting to experience a virtual buying process is that just because they're also finding the effectiveness of not having to, you know <laughs> take time out of their day to go to lunch with these sales reps who take their whole their whole afternoon or
1: so as you know they don't need sales reps to educate them anymore Um, they they can educate themselves uh, through the through the internet that's the educated or informed buyer Uh, and so the interaction with a salesperson now is can be or or a lot of people only need some kind of virtual interaction now that does not mean that face-to-face is invaluable It's just becoming less and less. The quantity of face-to-face interactions is becoming less and less, but the quality has to improve. So an inside sales rep or a virtual salesperson now, really they're not a ball and chain to their desk. They go out and they may have face-to-face interactions, but those major customer interactions need to be super, super prepared for. And your organizational structure will, will dictate how you actually do that.
0: So do you see kind of an emergence as we, as we shift to a couple of these different trends? Certainly virtual or inside sales is, 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 is here to stay. Um, what does the org design look like? I mean, you, you kind of mentioned the hybrid model. So, you know, is that a trend you're seeing more of where, yeah, I'm not necessarily chained to my desk as an inside sales rep, I can go out, or do you still see a real split between the field and sales? It's kind of still a 50-50, or do you see really the market moving, more and more to that that hybrid model of, yeah, look, you do a little bit of both, Mr. Virtual Sales Rep.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's if you look at a stratification model, that's what you're talking about, right? How do I stratify my accounts? There's global accounts and there's everything else in the stratification model. And then in inside sales or virtual sales, then do I go to a hunter farmer? Do I put geography around that as well too? Do I go by industry?
0: And you really need to
1: understand. It. And it calls for, for really crisp, buyer knowledge, and I didn't mention this before, but really crisp segmentation. Knowing who your ideal customer is, what their propensity to buy, so you can actually score your accounts and prospects and work on those ones with a higher, higher propensity to buy than others.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a tough conversation, the segmentation. I know know companies debate, do we do it on revenue, do we do it on, Employee size, what are our optimal accounts? Who are our buyer personas? Any tips or tricks on, on what you recommend in, in thinking about segmentation, even if it's kind of a ten thousand foot level?
1: Four to five criteria at the most that make up your ideal customer profile. Those four to five criteria have to be data driven, like employee size, for example. Um, or number of employees, or number of licenses and software, that, that type of thing. Um, and then there's two to three nurture factors. Nurture factors are the, uh, quote, accessibility to the buying decision team. So I'll ask the sales rep what their ideal customer is, or ideal prospect is, and they'll say, well, I, it, the, the whole buying decision team is accessible. Well, you can't quantify that. You can qualify it, but you can't quantify it. So we need some quantification or factors, like such four or five max. And then you need some nurture factors, things that you can do to influence that ideal customer profile. It's outside of the data only.
0: Hmm. I like it. you get a little qualitative, a little bit of kind of qualitative quantitative there. Um, one of the questions, this is a little off topic, but I've, I wanted to ask this as we continue to talk about order design. I mean, certainly the sales and marketing divide is, um, you know, it'll probably never go away whenever there's, a um, you know, whenever there's a handoff, or whenever there's two groups, you know, getting those people to get along like husband and wife or two friends, <laughs> there's always conflict to be had. But have you found some intriguing or uh, interesting ways to uh, that orgs have designed to optimize around? Maybe let's just do the sales and marketing divide there, or do you find that it's mostly around SLAs and you know, scoring things rather than org design as a solution?
1: So it's interesting to say that. So if I look at standard operating procedure, and we think SOP is really, uh, if you don't have it, you'll lose revenue. Mm -hmm. So an SOP right now for a marketing and sales kind of organization is that marketing is responsible for anywhere from 15 to 30% of all revenue. So they have to give leads to their salespeople. And those leads have to be qualified leads, so the SLA right, service level agreement has to be really, really, um, quite frankly, rigid, so that the lead is qualified so the salesperson understands that and then works on that lead. So that's standard operating procedure. That used to be best practice two, three years ago. That's SOP now. So if you don't have that, you're gonna lose revenue. A best practice now in a sales and marketing organization is that enablement crosses both functions. So marketing and sales enablement are together and they actually work together to produce content to produce leads, to, to grab revenue share across the customer's buying cycle. So I know that in early stage buying, that I have to produce, market's got to produce some sort of content to the sales, and then train the salespeople to actually use that content appropriately versus late stage content and how to use that appropriately, right? From a marketing perspective, from the sales perspective, I'm a salesperson, I got to understand how to use my personas, right? And my content across the buying cycle in early, mid and late stage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's best practice.
0: No, I like that. I I think the enablement thing's an interesting tie in there, as well as you know just getting to that SOP type of area. So as we as we well, have one, one more gave hey,
1: hey, one more Please. thing. We have emerging best emerging best practice, and emerging best practices are those companies that grow faster than our industry and faster than their competition. And emerging best practice is doing away with marketing and call and sales and calling it revenue generation, and it's really under yeah. a chief revenue officer where they work together along the customer life cycle process, not just buying process, mm. so that that customer success is also involved. So sorry to interrupt you, mm-hmm. but I wanted to conclude my thought there.
0: No, no. I mean, I, I've ran into one org that called it a growth team, and I mean, basically kind of did what you're talking about, probably a little different vernacular, but I loved it. Um, uh, and, and to your point across the whole buying cycle, and so content was – You know, very much involved um, bottom of funnel as well as really clients, um, you know, which for a lot of companies was, I mean, I think it would be super foreign, but man, they really thought about it during the, I I, I think that could potentially be not just a trend, but a big best practice here soon. But you're seeing that right now as potentially an emerging trend, right? That, I can't think of, I can't think of maybe more than that organization that I've seen do that. (laughs) Yes, emerging
1: trends, so emerging best practice, right? Which several years from now, maybe who knows how long, five years from now, potentially, that's probably going to be a best practice.
0: Yeah, interesting. Is there anything else as we kind of close here? So we mentioned kind of the virtual sales. We mentioned a little bit around the, the structure of, of this revenue uh, generator. Excuse me, what would you call it? Revenue? Revenue growth. Revenue growth. Um, any other kind of fun um, emerging trends that you guys are tracking or, or seeing potentially here? Hitting soon?
1: Yeah. So uh, there are some emerging trends, right? We, we've noticed uh, more and more compensation design is now changing, right? When you think about an org structure, territories, or uh, quota setting and compensation, the you know kissing kissing cousins, right? They all are really important, and compensation trends are starting to really inf- inf- inflate the variable pay so that, that that that's an interesting dialogue for another podcast no doubt but
0: but the uh the the,
1: the variable pay is increasing so now a hunter instead of a fifty fifty or forty sixty fixed the variable pay
0: so so instead of a fifty fifty they move to a forty so the the variable is is actually jumping up and we're seeing less less base and more commission is that kind of the general idea correct Hmm. Yeah, that we may have yep. to save that one for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Man, it's interesting. I'll give you that. Um, well, interesting. Well, those are some fun trends. You definitely got me thinking. I, I had, like I said, I'd seen that organization change that to a growth, change the titles, um, change the way they, they they sat, and thought it was pretty, um, pretty cool. It's interesting to kind of hear you back that that may be an emerging trend. So, Dan, um, <laughs> love the episode. Love kind of chatting about it. Definitely impressed with what you guys are doing over at SBI. As we wrap up, if someone wants to get a hold of you or wanted to experience uh, the Sales Benchmark Index, where would you where would you guide or direct them?
1: Yeah, two ways. Hit our site salesbenchmarkindex.com. We have a we have an app on the uh, App Store as well, SBI app, that you can also uh, download and and get content. Uh, We produce a a blog twice a day, a podcast once a week, a video once a month, a bi bi monthly magazine. So you can get that way, or Just email me directly, dan.perry at salesbenchmarkindex.com.
0: Appreciate it. Well, uh, Dan, again, thanks so much for your time and for the audience. Uh, Good luck, and let's get at it. You've been listening to the Sales Acceleration Show. I'm your host, Gabe Larson. If you'd like to learn more sales acceleration best practices, go to insidesales.com or follow me at Gabe Larson on Facebook. Thanks again for listening.